the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. As I get older, it seems like the years are flying by faster. The good news is, in 2024, we'll get an extra day. Yes, it's a leap year. And while the new year is a time to look forward, with many setting New Year's resolutions, it's also a good time to look back. On today's podcast, I welcome in Ed Killer, one of my favorite guests, and the outdoors reporter for the Treasure Coast Newspapers and TCPalm.com. Ed will share his top five Florida-centric outdoor stories of 2023, and he'll also help me dissect my list of top five state sports stories from the past year. We'll welcome him in in just a moment. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Ed Killer has been one of the best in the business for more than 30 years, operating out of the Fort Pierce area. Let's bring him in now and take a look back at the year that was 2023. Ed, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Ed, before we start looking at our top five lists, I have to ask you, are you a New Year's resolution guy? Uh, Actually, I am. Yeah, I always like to make uh, some kind of resolutions and see how long I can follow them. Yeah, I'll be the yin to your yang because I don't like to make resolutions because then all I can do is set myself up to be disappointed. Right, exactly. <laughs> all right, well, let, let's get into these lists because we each got a, a top five. Yours are outdoor related. Mine are just the top five sports stories of the year in the state. And uh, so I, let's get right into your number five. We'll count down five to one. We'll alternate them. So what is your number five outdoor related story of the year, Ed? Well, first of all, let me ask you a question. So what what kind of animals kill the most people on planet Earth every year? And I'm going to give you a couple of choices here. So we got hippos. Um, we got water buffaloes. You got great white sharks. Um, and then you got uh, dogs. And what do you think? What, what animal do you think kills the most people on planet Earth every year? Well, in that list, I might choose hippos because I know they kill a lot of people in Africa, which may be surprising. But I doubt that uh, it's going to be hippo related because I haven't heard of anyone in Florida getting killed by a hippo. Yeah, I don't think that really happened this year. But um, (laughs) if it did, I didn't hear about it. But anyway, no, wrong on all counts. It's the mosquito, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Everybody hates mosquitoes. So uh, what happened with mosquitoes in the state, Ed? Well, I tell you, um, so earlier this year, we had a story about, um, it happens to be about a, a mosquito scientist who works in um, a University of Florida lab that's in Vero Beach. It's a, it's like where they've been studying mosquitoes and, and the diseases they spread for probably, I think it's been a bit, been around that, that spot there for 75 years. And uh, this scientist, um, he's kind of a young guy, but uh, he was... He was out, and they collect, they randomly and regularly collect mosquitoes in these elaborate traps that they have down in places like the Everglades, uh, the woods of Collier County, um, the woods of Brevard County, 
they're all over the state with these traps and they'll go and they'll do these trapping, uh, these trapping, um, I guess pro- projects every now and again, where they have to go to these different places, but they found a new mosquito and forgive me for not being able to uh, pronounce the name, but it's very scientific and it's a mosquito that they'd known about that was in uh, South America for a number of years, but they found one, uh, one or they found two of them in the Everglades. And so they're, they're pretty concerned about it because these mosquitoes, although they haven't found them to be carrying any diseases, what they do is they can bite a host that does have a disease. And then when they fly to a new host and bite it, bite the new host, they can actually move that disease from a diseased animal or human to a healthy animal or human. So anyway, this new mosquito, they're not sure if this can, can move certain diseases like, um, like the, uh, chicken virus or the bird flu or, um, sleeping, sleeping, uh, sickness or the encephalitis or dengue, but they're worried because it is a type of mosquito that they've found in other countries that they know does move diseases in other countries. And now it's here in Florida. So there's an alert among all the mosquito districts in Florida uh, to look out for this new mosquito and any diseases it may be carrying. And that is utterly frightening. And I wanted a hazmat suit during the pandemic. Now I want one for mosquitoes. I may not go outside anymore. Yeah, just uh, don't go outside without, you know, lathering up with uh, some bug spray for sure. Hey, by the way, one one thing I learned about uh, during this conversation with the scientist was that the they found not this species of mosquito, but other types of mosquitoes. They have found them. What they'll do is that when they catch the mosquitoes, they will do DNA work on the blood that's actually in the mosquito to figure out what the mosquito has been feeding on. They have found mosquitoes that are feed on leeches in Florida. Believe that. I don't even know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It just sounds like a like a horror movie. I, I almost wish it were I wish it were hippos that were in the state. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like a setup for a you know a sci-fi horror movie, doesn't it? Oh my lord! All right, well, let, let's move on to my number five top uh, sports story for the state of Florida. And uh, Ed, I went here with something that happened really early in 2023, and that was all three of Florida's NFL teams made the playoffs. That was the first time it had happened since the 1999 season, so essentially January of 2000. 23 years since that had happened. Now, the team you would have expected to make it, the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers at the time, they squeak in at 8-9. and nine. The Dolphins, under first-year head coach Mike McDaniel, grabbed a wild-card spot. They were 9-8. and eight. And the Jaguars, who were actually 3-7 and seven at one point last season, they rattled off their last five wins in a row to take the AFC South and make the playoffs. Then the Bucks and Dolphins bow out in the wild-card round. The Jags look like they were going to lose. They're down 27 nothing in the first half against the Chargers. They come all the way back for the third largest playoff comeback in NFL history and win that game 31-30, but ultimately lose the next week to eventual Super Bowl champion, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you know, and, and during that Chargers game, I was there for that, and I will never forget how the fans 
Uh, it felt like that concrete stadium w- was rocking. I know it, it, UCF has the bounce house, which is made to move. I don't think that stadium, Everbank Stadium, is made to rock like that. But uh, crazy things going on there, Ed, and there's a chance it could happen again this year. Uh, what are your thoughts on that prospect? And uh, h- how do you think that fits in the top five state uh, sports stories of the year? Well, I think it's a great top five uh, story, first of all. I think it's a great – I'm glad you chose it. Um, I'm a huge football fan. I'm a huge NFL fan. I follow every team pretty pretty closely. And uh, one thing I, – I, two things I could say real quick is that watching the Jaguars uh, complete that comeback against the Chargers last year was was amazing. And, uh, you know, now we know, of course, uh, Chargers coach Brandon Staley and, and the general manager there have, or, have already been fired, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. But um, if, it, if I was the owner of the Chargers, Brandon Staley wouldn't have been on that plane on the ride home after that, that playoff collapse. Uh, that was unbelievable. I mean, he's he was supposed to be a defensive coach in the first place, and how they let the the Jaguars come back, you know, uh, and score thirty one straight points and outscore them thirty one to three in the second half was just uh, incredible. Uh, the second thing I'll say about that is, you know, or about this the, your choice here is the Dolphins. You know, early in the season they got a chance to get the all time NFL scoring record against the Broncos early in the season. When, and they score 70 points, and, and they pulled all their starters in the third quarter. So they had backups that were playing and scored at least two more touchdowns in the fourth quarter and maybe another one. Uh, they had a chance to actually go for the, the scoring record, which, in my opinion, you know, no one talks about who is number two on the scoring list. So in my opinion, I would have just gone for it if I was the coach of the Dolphins. But back then, if you're a Dolphins fan, you're thinking, oh, man, we're, we're in the Super Bowl. There's no doubt about it this year. And ever since then, we've seen them win when the games are supposed to win, but then they come up short in the games that would be nice if they could win, like the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Titans the other night. You know, th- these are games that the Dolphins should have definitely won and, and didn't end up winning at all. The Dolphins are probably going to win the division. That's good. They may end up in this, you know, winner take all game uh, in the last week of the season against Buffalo, but, um, you know, for the division, but they're, they're probably going to win the division. And I really hope that they this may be one of those years they can actually squeak their way into the Super Bowl. But if not, then maybe they'll make it next year. But we'll see. Yeah, the Jaguars struggling late in the season. I was hoping, uh, considering I'm the, the sports editor for the Times Union in Jacksonville, I was I had my sights set on Las Vegas and going to the Super Bowl there, but things seem to be slipping away. But you never know. We'll keep an eye on that. But uh, let, let's move on to your number four outdoors story of the year, Ed. So uh, tell me what you chose here uh, and what it is and why. Well, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, which has the the overwhelming task of of managing all the natural resources we have in, in the state of Florida, which are you know voluminous to say the say the least, um, they came up with a an idea to manage snook differently than they've been managing it for the last you know 20 years um the fact that they changed snook regulations again wasn't any big newsworthy story because they do that every couple of years they they always tweak snook regulations because snook is one of those resources in florida that florida fish and wildlife has a pretty good handle on they they've got pretty good research on it they they constantly are monitoring the population so they've got a good handle but what they did is they voted they they would they typically manage them 
in two zones, the Gulf Coast and the Atlantic Coast. And for many years, that made it very easy. This year, they chose to change that to make it nine different management zones, breaking up into different regions around the state based on the, the watersheds that, that feed those areas. And they're likely to make it 10. They're, they're probably going to split. The Indian River Lagoon is one of their management zones, but that stretches, as you know, from 156 miles from Palm Beach County all the way to Volusia County. And one thing they, they're going to do is they're probably going to split that in half. Somewhere around Sebastian Inlet, they're probably going to divide the lagoon into two different management zones so they can have different rules in different zones if they need to. Um, but they also wanted to ban harvest in 2024 in the entire region that just created of Tampa Bay. Um, they also wanted to add a closed month to the season for Southwest Florida. So through that area from, uh, from Port Charlotte down to Naples, they wanted to close or add an extra closed month to the season. And they wanted to have a statewide two fish vessel limit. Uh, right now the limit is one snook per angler during open season. And then they've got a size limit on that in the, in the Atlantic coast regions, it's, it's 28 to 32 inches in the Gulf coast regions. It's, it's 29 to 33 inches. Um, I'm sorry, 28 to 33. Um, so anyway, they, they voted to change. They did add a month to the close season for Southwest Florida. They held off on the harvest on banning harvest in Tampa Bay and they held off on the two fish vessel limit. What the vessel limit would have done, and I was a big opponent to this, and I wrote a column saying that much, is if you had four licensed anglers on a boat, for instance, fishing in a snook area, um, say it's say it's me and my three sons, okay? I have three sons. Me and my three sons are going fishing on our private boat. We would have to have a saltwater fishing license that costs $17 because we're on a boat. We would have to have a snook stamp, which costs ten dollars. To every snook, every angler who wants to harvest a snook has to have a snook stamp for ten dollars. So that means each of us are in for twenty-seven dollars, and we're allowed to take one legal snook per person per fishing trip. That would have reduced it to only two of us instead of four of us could have taken a fish. The science, the FWC's own science, didn't support this change in the regulation. It's not saying the snook population is endangered in any way or at risk of being overfished in any way. So it didn't seem to make sense while they were doing it. And one of their one of their reasons they said was because of the growing population in Florida um, of humans that are coming to Florida and how many more of them are going to want to fish for snook and take one home. So they wanted to reduce the limits. You know, and this is my final thought on the matter is that the FWC a lot of times will take us take a fish away from anglers and in order to save the fish because it's easy to do it that way but they need to be more creative when they come up with these regulation changes if they're worried about the growing population of florida maybe they can just grandfather in you know floridians who have been here for a certain amount of time and say listen you guys can have snook stamps but new residents you've got like a you know two or three year waiting period or something and maybe only allow a certain number of snook stamps in Florida, or maybe go to a lottery system where everybody has to compete for snook stamps. So, or maybe there, maybe it becomes a commodity where they end up buying from each other, kind of like they do in the commercial fisheries. So anyway, that's, I know that's more than you want to hear on that, but that's, that's the, what the changes they did change, the snook regulations they did change and the snook regulations they did not change 
But as we go forward in the next 2024, 2025, don't be surprised if you start seeing snook regulations change a little bit based on the data that they're collecting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's got to be tough being the FWC because you've got such a growing population in Florida. You don't want to see things, you know, winnowed away. But at the same time, you don't want to restrict things that don't need to be restricted. So it's not an, a, an enviable position. But, you know, Ed, you know best. So I, I will always defer to your knowledge and people should definitely read your stories on that. So now let, let's move on to my number four sports story of the year here in the state. And here, Ed, I chose... FAU and Miami making the final four. I thought that that was, you know, certainly a big deal. Both teams had a great run. They were on opposite sides of the bracket. And I don't think there was anybody who actually had those two teams in the final four, except maybe Senator Rick Scott, who uh, who, who actually did pick them. I don't know if that was Homerism or if he's a modern day Nostradamus. But, you know, that was something to behold. Unfortunately, ultimately, FAU, they lose by one point to UConn. And then, uh, you know, I'm sorry, they lost by one point to San Diego State. And UConn beat Miami, blowing them out and ultimately winning the national title. So, uh, you know, I thought that that was a huge uh, story in the state. But given the three that I have ahead of it, I think number four is an appropriate place. Uh, How did you see that one, Ed? You know, I, I agree with you completely. Again, I'm a huge college basketball fan myself. Um, I run a, uh, uh, I run a, a, a contest every year with my friends where we pick, uh, we pick the outcomes of the, of the, uh, NCA men's basketball bracket every year. And, uh, none of us were even close with FAU and Miami for sure, or San Diego state. A couple of us had UConn, but, um, you know, the first thing I can say is that what a what a magical run by FAU. They're 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 still capitalizing on that that glory this year. I, I live in an area where, where I'm in the FAU broadcast media coverage, so I get to see um, what the media is doing with FAU and everybody. Even even you know the TV stations that don't really have sports departments are covering FAU's basketball team. Um, University of Miami, congratulations to them. They they've got Few, only a few appearances ever in the Final Four. For FAU, it was the first time ever they got to the Final Four. And um, and and what I noticed too, my aunt who uh, graduated from FAU, even she was she was like setting aside her nights during their Final Four run to watch watch FAU compete in these basketball games. You know, which I thought was funny. My 78 year old aunt is watching FAU basketball games for the first time in her life. You know, she's like walking around saying "Go Owls" and stuff, which I never heard her say in her entire life. So uh, it was it was really something that captured um, the the excitement. The the Final Four magic in South Florida was really um, tremendous. And I haven't seen that much excitement about um, college basketball in the state of Florida since University of Florida had its uh, back to back championship years a few years ago. So it was uh, really good to see that happen for those two programs. Yeah, I definitely miss those days of Florida basketball being that good. But hey. They look pretty darn good this year, as does Miami, as does FAU. And of course, FAU's coach Dusty May has kind of become a household name. Glad he stayed there this year, but we'll see what happens beyond uh, this season. So, all right, Ed, uh, let's move on to the number three outdoors story of the year in the state of Florida. What did you have there at number three? You know, what I had was uh, flamingos being moved around by, by Hurricane Idalia. So a lot of us even you know forget that we had a hurricane earlier this year, but um, sometime around August or uh, we had Hurricane Idalia that kind of swept up from just off the uh, Yucatan Peninsula and the in the Gulf and 
moved up through the Gulf of Mexico and then came in through the panhandle, uh, hit right around uh, Steenhatchee, somewhere around in there, Horseshoe, Horseshoe Beach nearby, um, you know, caused some damage there. But the weird thing that was that people noticed was that all of a sudden they started seeing flamingos. They saw flamingos nearby where the storm uh, made landfall uh, a little bit to the west along the panhandle and in like Destin um, and Destin, Pensacola Beach. They saw flamingos in the bays there. They saw flamingos in Tampa Bay area. They've seen flamingos uh, down at Fort Myers. They've seen flamingos and over in the Mesquite Lagoon. They've seen flamingos. And I just saw yesterday on somebody's Instagram post a whole flock of flamingos in, you guessed it, Flamingo, which is down in the southern part of the Everglades, right on the edge of Florida Bay, right across from the Keys. So for a state, and this is going to be surprising to people, but we started seeing flamingos coming back into Florida marshes and Florida wetlands, especially in western Palm Beach County, south of Lake Okeechobee. There's some marshes down there, and some bird watchers noticed, wow, that's a flamingo out there. They haven't seen one in like 50 years. They haven't seen one in, in that part of the of the state. And they were like, well, what's that mean? You know? And so there's been this big debate. The Audubon society has been, which, you know, works with birds has been very active in trying to get, um, state of Florida to, you know, change the state bird from mockingbird to flamingo. Um, they, they want to make sure that the flamingo gets treated like a naturalized bird, not like a, uh, invasive species. (laughs) So can you believe that? Um, but the fact that we've seen them all over the place, the ones in Mosquito Lagoon probably are, are the most peculiar to me. Um, they're, they're actually hanging out in the, on this sandbar in, um, and they've been phot- photographed by many, many people. And I've seen them all on Facebook. I know the Florida Today did a story. Jim Waymer did a story about the flamingos there. Um, they're hanging out with these white pelicans. So the, the stark contrast of these large white pelicans and these pink flamingos hanging out together and every once in a while there's like a roseate spoonbill i guess he thinks he's a flamingo that hangs out with him to me that's that's very fascinating and peculiar and and wonderful and i'm glad that florida finally has its flamingos back because go back to 1900 when we still had a plume trade you literally had plume hunters that would go out in these places like the everglades and they would shoot thousands of birds in a day and collect their feathers just to adorn like ladies hats and stuff like that up in places like New York city and Philadelphia and Boston. And, uh, it was, it, it took a lot of effort for them to stop the plume trade back in the early 1900s. And fortunately they did, but we hadn't seen flamingos in Florida really since then. So the fact that we've been seeing them the last couple of years, and now we've seen a lot of them in like four or five different places this year is really something that's pretty, pretty remarkable. I think. Yeah. And you know, I can remember as a kid growing up on Merritt Island on Florida space coast there, you know, in the early 80s, you would actually see flamingos then and you could see them, you know, when when they would migrate, you would see these schools of pink birds flying overhead. And probably by I, I can't remember ever seeing that past 1990. So it, it has been a really long time. So that's good to see. And the other thing is, you know, your number three story, even if it wasn't about flamingos, could just be, hey, we, we had a pretty slow hurricane season. Thank God for that. And let's carry that over to next year. So, all right, let's move on to the number three sports story in the state. And here, Ed, I stuck with South Florida. I stuck with basketball, but I also added hockey. And that was this past June. We had in the NBA and NHL finals at the same time, the Panthers and the Heat 
both of them making it there by beating Boston teams, which is also always fun to see. And, uh, you know, no NBA and NHL team in the same city has ever won at all since the NBA began playing in 1947, but the Heat and Panthers were the 10th same-city combo to make the NBA and NHL finals in the same season. So, unfortunately, neither of them won the title, but, you know, hey, it's a feat in and of itself than only 10 times since, obviously, the NHL is older, so the NBA started 1947. Only 10 times ever has that happened. So uh, what are your thoughts about the South Florida sports takeover with that? You know, it, it was just, uh, it was tremendous because to, to, to see the, you had, you had FAU and University of Miami that made the final four. So they were literally within, you know, one game of making the finals. Miami Heat and Florida Panthers made the finals from both of their respective sports. And it's all happened in the course of about two months and, or three months, because I guess they play into June for the finals for NHL and NBA. So about from March to June, you had this magic kind of happening last year in South Florida. And I live in the the South Florida market. I live above the Miami. I live in the Treasure Coast, so we're we're in the Palm Beach market more than we are in the Miami market. But uh, we get a lot of the you know a lot of the the the, the carryover. Um, but the way the the way that the Panthers made it to the finals was amazing because they were getting they were down three zero to Boston, and they had to win. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they had to win like two games at Boston before they could even play another game in in Florida, and they won all three of those games. You know, they won four straight to to make it into the next round of the playoffs. So that was pretty magical for people here in South Florida. There's a tremendous, you know, that's all carrying over this year. I've noticed. Uh, I've seen some Heat and Panthers games on TV, and uh, their 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 stadiums are packed this season. People, fans are are clamoring for more and the heat are doing well and the Panthers are doing okay. So, um, so that's carried over this year too. And like we already talked about, you know, Miami and, and Florida Atlantic are also doing good. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun to be in uh, you know, South Florida, if, not, if nothing else, one of the, one of the knocks on it is that the fans are front runners and they only show up when you're, when your teams are doing good, but we've got the dolphins doing good and the Panthers and the heat, the Marlins made the playoffs you know, we've uh, we've got these college teams making playoffs. Um, you know, unfortunately, the football teams, you know, college football kind of fell off a little bit. But, you know, it's been exciting time to be down here in South Florida. Yeah, and even the Orlando Magic, I'm a huge Magic fan, looking really good. Paolo Bancaro, true star in the making. Franz Wagner, you know, another really good one. That is going to be a nice one-two punch if they can keep them there in Orlando for some time to come. Wagner's brother's playing there too, right? They got both Wagner's on the team, I think. Yeah, I'll call him Mo, but I think it's Moritz or Moritz or something, you know, something very German. So let's just call him Mo. It's like having uh, two Antetokounmpo's. Yeah, there you go. All right, now let's move on to your number two story, Ed. We're we're getting down to our our top two each. What was at number two here for you, uh, the number two outdoor story of the state? Well, you know, I've, 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 um, I've opined on this for many, many years. I, I can't stand how the federal fishery managers manage our red snapper fishing seasons. So if you fish in the Gulf waters, you're like, well, what's the big deal? We had 38 days to catch red snapper this year. It was fantastic. I got to get out there and get my red snapper limits and I did pretty good. And, you know, it was, it was fun. Well, if you fish in the Atlantic, you only had 
you only had two days this year and really they the the atlantic the federal fishery managers are really reticent to give the atlantic anglers even that much time they don't want these red snapper to be overfished they've classified them as being overfished in the atlantic fishery but they're not they're not overfished in the gulf fishery what i don't understand is Last time I checked, I'm not I'm not big on maps, but last time I checked, the Atlantic Ocean is a little bigger than the Gulf of Mexico. So I didn't understand why we can fish for 38 days in the Gulf of Mexico, but we can only fish for two days in the Atlantic Ocean. And the fishery managers tell me, well, that's because the ones the Atlantic, the fish in the Atlantic Ocean are are in a smaller uh, location and they're in a broader location with more habitat than the Gulf of Mexico. So I have to take their word for for them on that. But I still think that we've got a problem because one of the things that anglers who fish out of, uh, you know, they fish out of St. Augustine, they fish out of New Smyrna Beach, Jacksonville. um, You know, I don't talk to those anglers very much, but when I do talk to them, they tell me the same thing. That for 363 days a year when they're fishing for mangrove snapper or uh, porgies or, you know, grunts or yellow, you know, some other type of snapper. When they're trying to catch other types of fish, grouper, um, all they can catch are red snapper because there's so many red snapper out there covering the reefs that that's all they can catch in in 100 feet of water. So um, it doesn't sound to me like there's a shortage of red snapper in the ocean. So I don't know why they're why they have this big disparity in the two seasons. And so that pretty that's something that kind of bothers me and will continue to bother me until we fix this. All right, and you know I can tell you this, Ed, that. That Red Snapper podcast we did, which debuted on June 5th, and that was episode 29 of season 3, overall episode 123, that was our number one downloaded podcast of all time, and right now we are doing episode number 155, and I can also tell you based on the numbers, because we're not allowed to release our podcast numbers, but for that week, we were in the top 1% of all podcasts worldwide. So, yeah, so the, to think that Red Snapper kind of causes that type of thing and there's that much interest, people really downloaded that episode. So thank you for your expertise well, on that That's good to one. know, yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to our number two sports story of the year here in the state of Florida. This just happened a few weeks ago, Ed, and uh, you know I, I wrestled with did I want this as number one or number two. I didn't want to be a uh, prisoner of the moment, but I think ultimately this is the number two sports story in the state, and that was Florida State getting snubbed by the College Football Selection Committee. And now look, I'm a Gator grad. I went to the University of Florida. It's ingrained in me to hate Florida State, but I think they got jobbed. I mean, they're the first undefeated Power 5 team to not be invited to the Final Four. I don't care that Jordan Travis broke his leg. Well, I do care that he broke his leg, but I I don't care that that's their excuse. You know, I don't care that Tate Rodemaker didn't play in the ACC title game because of a concussion but, you know, I just think that it was, you know, terrible by them the way they did it. I imagine if Georgia beats Alabama, then Florida State, Georgia, you have four undefeated teams in there. But the way this shook out, 
it just really bothered me. I think Florida State deserved their opportunity. You've got cheaters in Michigan getting in where, you know, they've got this guy who's flying around, stealing signs, you know, getting on sidelines and wearing fake mustaches and trench coats. That's not made up. Read about this guy. Um, You know, it's just incredible. And then, you know, they take Alabama, who nearly lost to Auburn. They were trailing the USF at 1.3-0 and tied with them 3-3 at the half. They take a one-loss Texas, who really only had the one good win against Alabama. Their strength of schedule in the Big 12 was nothing to write home about. Okay, they beat Ark- or, uh, or they beat Oklahoma, too. But, you know, FSU getting snubbed to me, that that's one of the, the most horrible things. You know, to hear Jordan Travis lament and say, I wish I would have broken my legs sooner. I mean, that type of stuff is just terrible. So what what were your thoughts on what went on there with FSU? I've talked to people who say, well, you know, they didn't they're not one of the four best teams. 13 and 0, one year conference. I don't care about any of the other stuff. They deserve to be there. What did you think? You know, I I think that's a good point. Um so let me be clear. First of all, I'm not an FSU fan and um I did graduate from USF. Hmm. So looking at uh, how they 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 dusted uh, Syracuse 45 to nothing. I think that win over USF might have weighed a, l- weighed a little bit more this, you know, today than it did. But anyway, <laughs> but um, I saw a couple analysts make this analogy, and I, I have to I have to agree with him. Uh, I think Mike Greenberg is the first person I saw say this on ESPN. He said that uh, they've taken college football and turned it into into figure skating, and I, I have to agree with that because. They're saying that what you did on the field isn't as important as what the judges think um, with this FSU omission. And I agree with you, the the people in Michigan, I mean, Jim Harbaugh should have been suspended two more games for the awful costumes that the guy on the sideline was wearing when he was when he was trying to steal information from other teams. You know, it was it was such a bad, bad effort to to take to to hide this and obscure what was happening. And the, the worst thing about it, I think, was how Michigan turned it with their own team into this, hey, it's us against the world. No, it, it's not you against the world. You guys cheated and you actually, it, you did this. It's self-imposed. You caused the problem in the first place. So I don't know what you, it's not you against the world. You created the problem. That's the problem. So it was um, it was something I, I didn't agree with, uh, with Michigan at all. But um, Alabama... Alabama was losing to Auburn until that last second throw. They were they needed a fourth and thirty one to win that game, Tim. And I was watching that game and I'm laughing. I'm like going, "Wow, Auburn's going to beat Alabama, who I can't stand." And I was going to be glad that they got knocked out, but I knew that they were going to still play in the SEC championship game because they had already, you know, had the best record in the West Division, the SEC. So they couldn't take that away from them. And then the kid completes that pass. I felt bad for the defensive back from Auburn because he was literally like he just paused for a second, and that put him two steps behind the receiver who caught the game-winning touchdown in that game. And you know that that's the only reason those guys got into that Final Four. Um, and then for them to put in Texas was a joke. So uh, you're you're basically saying that you know FSU could control its own destiny by winning out its games. It does goes 13 and 0 and then gets left on the sidelines. So, I think it's terrible that the judges did that to them, but if you listen to the judges like a week beforehand when they were talking to the analysts on ESPN, they were setting this up the entire time. They were talking about how, oh, we're only going to take the best team, we're only going to take the best team. 
And what they meant to say was that was code for saying we're we're probably gonna we're probably gonna let in a one loss team over a, an undefeated team. And so uh, I think I think they did get they they did get robbed in the whole of the whole situation. And I, I kind of feel bad for the Seminole fans. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, it it will stick in my craw. You know, my wife, she's a Florida State graduate. It will stick in her craw and many other Florida State fans for a long time to come. But next year you get 12 teams. We won't have that issue again. So, but Well, I you know, the one thing they can do, and, and being a Florida grad, you'll you'll appreciate this. What FSU can do is they can go down to the uh, National Championship plaque store and buy one just like UCF did a couple years ago. So they can call themselves national champs anyway. Yeah, well, I, I guess now it's time, Ed, to move on to our number one stories, each for outdoors and sports in the state of Florida. So, Ed, what was your top outdoor story for the state in 2023? Tell us what you rank there and why. Well, it's about a Burmese python that was found in southern Brevard County. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about how it was found and then what happened and then why it's, why it's important. So uh, this this group of four friends. Um, we're out there uh, riding the levees of the uh, TM Goodwin waterfowl management area that's uh, managed by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. And they were they were on one of the last days of the alligator hunting season, you know, during late October. Uh, so it was a sunny afternoon. They're they're going along the levee and they see this. They're looking for alligators and they see a Burmese python, which, you know, is shocking to them. So they 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 know they got to collect it and kill it. So they collect it and they kill it. And it's probably 12 feet long. But I'll tell you why why it's important is uh, they also got an alligator, by the way. So they got some cool photos of, of the alligator, the python, you know, them with their gear and all that stuff. So pretty cool photos. And congratulations to them. But the significance of this was this is about 100 miles from where the center of the python activity is. The pythons have mostly been in that area there of the Everglades, uh, Big Cypress National Preserve, you know, down there in um, W Water Conservation Area 3. All this area is about 40 miles south of Lake Okeechobee in uh, Florida's southern part of the peninsula. Uh, so for a python to have been found up here is is definitely news. And so I asked the Florida Fish and Wildlife if it had a chip in it because any recent pythons that have been sold in the exotic pet trade have to be uh, radio chipped so they can tell who owns the python and where the python came from so that people won't take their pet python and just dump it out in the woods. Um, and what they found was was that this had no chip in it. So that means it's a wild python that somehow found its way from you know the central part of the Everglades to 100 miles to the northeast in southern Brevard County. And the habitat's very similar to what's in the Everglades where this python was found. But anyway, the significance of this is if pythons are able to spread north in the Florida Peninsula, look out for any other native wildlife we have. In the southern Everglades, they've found that there's been research studies that have shown that the whitetail rabbits, marsh rabbits, raccoons, possums, uh, field mice, different kinds of wading birds, all of these species of animals and birds are getting impacted by the python spread through the southern part of the state, all the way from Collier County to, to Broward and Miami-Dade counties, all the way through Monroe County right there in that whole swampy area. Uh, these, these animals are all getting impacted. 
if pythons are spreading north in Florida, uh, look out. We're not going to see much, you know, even even fewer uh, native wildlife than we see right now. Um, being, you know, we know that we, they, they're big. Their big enemy right now is developers, of course, developing land at, at, a, at a pace that we can't keep up with. But um, but, you know, these pythons aren't going to help. So what we need is we need a good freeze or cold snap that ex- is experienced at least as far south as Clewiston just to keep these and, you know, just to keep these pythons at bay. So um, I think it's pretty important, pretty significant news story that we found a python that far north in Brevard County. Ed, I live in central Brevard County. What are you doing to me here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, got- watch out in your watch out in your backyard. Let's just say that. Burmese pythons, new mosquitoes. All right. I, I thought I was gonna stay in Florida most of my life, but uh I, I may have to start seeing uh has Southern California become more affordable? Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh that is a big story. I can see why you put it number one. I do not want to see a Burmese python. I, I have enough trouble if I see a rat snake or a garden snake, uh, let alone a Burmese python. So, all right, let, let's get to my number one sports story of the year, Ed. I think this is appropriately number one. I hope I didn't leave any other big sports stories out of my top five. But I think you have to. You have to go with this as the number one story. And that is the only, you know, uh, only twice ever will the greatest of all time retire. One was Michael Jordan. The other is Tom Brady. Tom Brady, the the seven-time Super Bowl winner, five-time Super Bowl MVP, two decades in the league, three league MVPs, two supermodel wives. He called it a career down there in Tampa Bay. Uh, He bowed out in the first round of the playoffs in his final year there. He was still playing at a high level. He started all 17 games last year, only one of 10 quarterbacks that started all 17 games last season. And he finished third in the league in passing yards. I I didn't see him. I thought he might stick around or try another team, but he didn't. So, uh, Ed, what are your thoughts on my number one pick of Tom Brady calling it a career here in Florida? I think that's a great pick. Um, uh, Maybe if I had this, if I looked at your list, I might put the FSU snub as number one and Tom Brady number two. But I think you can put him in either place. And I think that the Tom Brady retiring I mean, he only retired twice, right? You know, same. And I think Michael Jordan only retired twice. <laughs> well, there you go. And and you know, if we learned anything about James Bond, you only live twice. That's right, exactly. But uh, uh, you know, the 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 most remarkable thing about Brady, like I told you earlier, I follow I follow NFL very closely, and I, I just couldn't believe his numbers the last couple of years that he was in he was in Tampa Bay. Uh, he led the league in passing the the year before. And he was third in the league in passing, like you said, uh, last year. I mean, what's what's amazing this year, too, is we see some really bad NFL teams in these matchups. Um, It seems like, you know, there was a lot of parity for a while, but now we've got you've got some teams that are juggernauts like San Francisco. And then you got other teams that are struggling to win games like Carolina. But uh, when you what we got accustomed to watching for 20 years is when Tom Brady was on the field, whether it was a Patriots or a Bucks uniform, if there was a minute and 10 seconds left to go in the game and they were down by less than a touchdown, you knew what was going to happen. You know, there was a chance that somehow, miraculously, he was going to drive that team down the field 
There was never going to be a false start. There was never going to be some holding call. There was never going to be some some weird circumstance uh, most of the time. Sometimes there was a you know a mystery uh, defensive penalty. But anyway, you always knew that Tom Brady was somehow in the game. Even even that that one Super Bowl when he was down twenty eight to three to Falcons fans, and I apologize to Falcons fans, but he was down twenty eight to three in the second half and somehow came back and pulled out a win. Um, you know, so it's, he's, he literally did it all. Um, I was a Tom Brady hater early in my career because I was, I'm a lifelong Dolphins fan, but, um, I had a ton of respect during the second half of his career because I just got to the point where I recognized greatness and, and he could somehow take a team, you know, of 53 guys, even he had influence on the defensive players too. And he could take a team of 53 guys and somehow just, lead them down the field to victory more times than not. And uh, so I have a ton of respect for him. I think it's a great pick by you to put hit, put that story as number one, because uh, I think it's something that we forgot about because he did it, you know, on Instagram back in whatever, February. Um, but uh, it's certainly a top, it was certainly a top story. So I think it was a good choice. Yeah, I loved how people were uh, trying to figure out the spot where he announced his retirement because you kind of saw his selfie video somewhere in Miami and people were going to the beach and bottling up beach sand and selling it as this is beach sand from where Tom Brady retired. Man, I wish I could come up with a scam like that. I thought it was a Gulf Coast beach, but it looked like in the background. But I guess everybody was saying it was still in Miami. But I don't know. I just, I thought it was a. it looked to me like the wrong coast. But anyway. And any knucklehead could have walked out to any beach anywhere on the East Coast, bottled up some sand, and said it was from where he were to call his retirement. <laughs> All right, well, Ed, I, I think we've done a great job breaking down the, the top five outdoor stories, the top five sports stories. Now let's look ahead to 2024. What are some things that you're going to be working on? I remember at this time last year, we were talking about frozen iguanas falling out of trees. I don't think it's going to be that cold uh, quite yet, but who knows? We'll see over the next couple of weeks. But uh, what are some things that you're looking forward to working on through uh, 2024? Well, we got you know some of the things that that our readers are really interested in. We've got we've got a lot of coverage coming up on things like manatees and seagrass and our local estuaries. Um, how the governor and the legislature are handling. Uh, we got an early legislative session this year. It starts in January, so um, we got a lot of we're going to have a lot of coverage on what they're doing and not doing correctly to um, to try to help our waters and our wildlands out there. Um, and then we've got, you know, there are typical coverage on what's, what some weird stuff happening in fishery. And one of the most interesting stories I, I had the last couple of weeks is about a mystery, uh, lift boat that's been, it's an industrial boat that's been anchored off of Vero beach for two weeks and looks like it's going to be there another week. So uh, we'll be following any kind of weird stuff like that, that happens as well. So we're looking forward to doing all that. Alrighty, and I hope when we talk at this time next year, you're not telling me, because with new mosquitoes and Burmese pythons, there better not be like some sort of flying mako shark or something that, uh, you know, is terrorizing the skies of Florida. Let's avoid some of that, Ed. Yeah, yeah, I hear you there. <laughs> All right, well, Ed, again, I appreciate it. Happy New Year. Best to you and your family, and I do look forward to talking to you again plenty in 2024. Happy New Year, Tim. And that will do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote Benjamin Franklin, be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you a better man.
I couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks for listening, and please continue to join us in 2024. Happy New Year.